Hello and welcome to the Women's Agenda podcast. My name is Angela Priestley and I'm the publisher and co-founder of Women's Agenda and I'm here with my fellow co-founder and editor-in-chief. Hello, Tala. Hello, Ange. On today's agenda, New South Wales has a new premier. You may have heard about him. We'll also be discussing the findings of our latest ambition report and what women are looking to achieve over the next two years. We'll share a quick hack on how to ask for a pay rise and a few more bits and pieces. Thank you for listening. So, Tala, this week, New South Wales got a new premier. His name is Dominic Perrottet and he is the former treasurer of the state. We both live in New South Wales, so we both live under Premier Perrottet. Oh, aren't we lucky? <laughs> so I say that with no note of cynicism whatsoever. No, it's been a big week in New South Wales politics, obviously with the shock resignation of Gladys last week. And I wrote a piece about how I admire Gladys Berejiklian in many, many ways. That's true. But I was a little bit perturbed by how quickly people were willing to kind of overlook the possibility of corruption. And I think that we've become a little bit desensitised in politics in general to bad behaviour And we are so used to mostly men doing the wrong thing, whether it's pork barrelling or or corruption or sexual harassment or misconduct. Uh, We're so used to hearing these terms that we are desensitised to it. But at any rate, I am sad in a way to see Gladys Berejiklian out and especially given it's made way for Dominic Perrottet, who I think even though he purports to be the minister or the the premier now for families, has some very disturbing and backward views about lots of things, including climate change, including abortion, including the place of women. What was your take of the hot mess that was New South Wales Parliament this week? I might start by saying I spoke to Shivani Gopal in an episode on the Women's Agenda podcast a few days ago where we did go a little bit more into Berejiklian's shock resignation and Shivani had a bit of a different view to you, Tala, and to me as well in the sense that she did note her disappointment in, in the fact that that had happened. Like she really felt like it was a real kick in the guts for women in leadership and I think she made some really good arguments about that and she has shared those arguments on Women's Agenda as well. So one thing I would say is that... I, and I mentioned this last episode, but I do think that what this really highlights is the need for a federal um, integrity unit, an ICAC, whatever it is at the national level. It really highlights the fact that we should be investigating more politicians around potential corrupt behaviour. And we have seen over and over again the different rorts related scandals that have happened at the federal level that we see are not being investigated. I think that's what I find really hard about this situation. In saying that, what has happened with Gladys Berejiklian may actually put the idea of a federal integrity unit, a Commonwealth ICAC, if you will, even further down the agenda as I think that there is still public distrust in terms of how this happened, why this happened, why why we've lost a Premier in this way. So, But, you know, that leads us to Premier Perrottet, or can I call him Premier Dominic, given that you call Gladys Berejiklian Gladys? <laughs> So that's true. Let's, let's go with Dominic. <laughs> I just say that that doesn't come from a place of disrespect. It actually comes from this place of familiarity. I feel like we've watched Gladys Berejiklian like get up every day at 11 a.m. and deliver true. this press release. And she has actually just become, in the same way that Kerry Chant has become, like this really kind of stable fixture of, of kind of 
certainty. And I think that's why a lot of people did have the response that they did. I think that that's why people love and admire her so much. And yeah, I just want to note that that doesn't come from a place of disrespect as to why I called her by her first name. But yes, please call Dominic Dom from now on. Yeah, I'll go with Perrottet. But Dominic Perrottet, 39 years old. He came into New South Wales Parliament 10 years ago at the age of 29. He has six children at home. He is considered to be fairly conservative, both socially and economically. So he has declared himself the first Premier for families, which we still don't exactly know what that means. And as a lot of people have pointed out, does that mean he will support all families in all their forms or is he only going to be the premier for certain types of families that kind of giant families the premier for giant families (laughs) we do have a story on our website asking how Dominique Perrottet is going to juggle the load given that you know six kids at home it's a lot caused a little bit of friction among some of my LinkedIn followers, I might say, when I shared that story yesterday. So that people said that, you know, that question should never have been asked at the press conference where it was asked. And it was kind of asked in a a humorous way at the time, saying it's only fair that, that men should be asked this question, given that women are asked this question all the time. Leaving that aside. So in terms of our concerns, you know, he has come out saying that the generosity of Australia's welfare system is partly to blame for declining fertility. He's spoken on religious freedom, saying that religious freedoms are lost where the, quote, hurt feelings of others begin. Um, He's described climate change as a gratuitous waste of taxpayer money. But you know what I find the most disturbing of all, which I think we'll get to now, is which was going to be one of our stories and we're meant to go into our wins for women, but look at us, we went on a massive tangent regarding this new premier. What I find the most disturbing at all is that New South Wales had a roadmap for coming out of COVID restrictions. I live in Sydney. I've been under those restrictions for for four months. I feel that people, they may not have agreed with this roadmap, but they were starting to come on board. I've seen how businesses have adjusted to this. I've seen how plans have been made around what's been changed. Uh, Yesterday, he just kind of changed a lot of the rules. He he went ahead and eased further restrictions. Such a big swinging dick move. Monday, it was clearly a means to put his place, his mark, on this, and I just think if that's what we're dealing with, if you can't even go, oh yeah, I've only been in this job two minutes, maybe I'll just see at least the first stage of the easing of restrictions through in terms of what my predecessor lined up. And communities have prepared around this, and now people are suddenly making changes. I can have ten people over instead of five people over. Like, why not just see it through? I think he's really misjudged and misread this situation because I think he thinks that by doing that, people are going to respond to him really well, really favorably. Businesses are going to come out clapping. But what I think it actually does is make people very wary of where his motives lie um, and what his agenda is. Because as you said, there are very clear parameters in place to get us out now. By sidelining someone like Dr. Kerry Chant, who has been, again, such a stable force for people throughout this period. She's been there to deliver the key health advice that we need every day. I don't know if he told her not to attend the press conference on Thursday, but she certainly wasn't there. And then it was was exposed that she obviously had disagreed on his new roadmap forward. I don't think he's read this situation well. I think people will react badly to it. And um, I think the fact that he brought Kerry Chan back today is probably evidence of that already. So. Yeah, I mean, look, I get what he was trying to do, but I think it's backfired for him in a big way. 
All right, so let's go to some wins for women, which we usually get to at the start of the show, but we had other matters to tend to. So, Tyler, what is your win this week? Well, it's not Dominic Perrottet, let me tell you that for nothing. Um, but, no, look, my um, win for women this week is the Samoan PM, Fiam Naomi Mataafa. Well, she basically came out swinging at Scott Morrison, which always makes me laugh. We know, um, we know. Well, it's pretty much my favourite thing. Anyone who does that I'm sure to call out as my favourite person for the week. So, um Anyway, she has really kind of laid a stake in the ground for Morrison around climate change and Australia's inaction on climate change. And she has said that the Pacific position has always been very clear and she said that Morrison would not like her for, for giving the answers around, you know, what's required in terms of a target of net zero emissions by 2050 and being really emphatic about that. She also said this is not new to him, which I think is how everyone feels about our inertia on climate change at the moment and I thought it was like just such a power play from her and she kind of goes into what is required and what her MO is around it and she said that you know we need to be pushing for cutting half the emissions by 2030 to reach carbon neutrality by mid-century. Something that the Australian government is clearly not on board with. Yeah, that's a whole other topic which I'd love to get into but I'm not going to right now So, um, because I want to share my win and I'm going to share a win that comes, it's a little bit uh, self-indulgent or I might say business indulgent. We run this business together so this is indulgent for the two of us but I want to share a few bits and pieces from the findings of our 2021 Women's Agenda Women's Ambitions Report. Uh, We recently surveyed more than 1,400 women about what they're looking to achieve over the next 24 months and what they think, if anything, might be getting in the way. And we were able to compare their results directly with results shared in 2017 when we first ran the survey and again in 2019 when we ran the survey for the second time. So this is its third iteration and we were able to kind of apply the pandemic period and see how that might compare to the previous versions of it. We've mostly kept the questions the same. So it was interesting. And what I can say is a lot of the ambitions that we listed, there wasn't really a dramatic difference in terms of women saying what they were looking to achieve. The number one thing was that they want to earn more. And that's come up in 2017 and again in 2019. They want to earn more. From there, they want to get promoted. They want to get a new role. Again, these things came up in almost identical numbers to the previous versions of this report. And then some of the hurdles that women believe may get in the way came up in almost equal numbers also. The one thing that we didn't ask in previous times that we did ask this time was about burnout. And that's because we have obviously spoken a lot about burnout on Women's Agenda through different stories. We've heard from a lot of different women regarding burnout, not just associated with the pandemic period, but actually associated with just, you know, parental burnout. There's different burnout associated with different industries and other things. So we wanted to kind of put that topic out there. So just to get this figure out of the way, 39% of women said that burnout may get in the way of them achieving their ambitions over the next two years. So we found that figure quite alarming and we will be doing more on that. But then the leading hurdle was confidence in my abilities. So 45% of women said that confidence in my abilities may prevent them from reaching their ambitions over the next two years. Why do I say that this is a win? That was the only figure that was of any kind of significant difference to previous years. So in previous years, it was 51%. I think it was 2017, 2019, 51%. This year, it's 45%. 
I see that as a win. I see it as a win because basically what's happening there is 55% of women do not believe confidence in their abilities will get in the way of what they're looking to achieve. And I think that that is a good result. I also think that the slight shift there indicates that, you know, throughout this pandemic, people, people may have actually been looking at leaders and various other people in different roles or different industries and thinking, yeah, I think I can do a better job. I think I can do that. <laughs> way better than that guy. Yeah. So anyway, I saw that as a win. I'm not for a minute saying that there's any problem with a lack of confidence. I actually think a lack of confidence can be a good thing. And I also don't necessarily think that, you know, women are inherently less confident than men, but I do think that, and we find this in our survey, that there are things in that survey that point to why women may be feeling a lack of confidence in themselves. And the biggest thing there is discrimination. And I think that might play into our FinHack segment, which comes courtesy of our podcast supporter, Superhero. So as we've shared recently, we recently brought on Superhero as the supporter of this podcast. So thank you so much for the support. It helps make this possible and helps keep us publishing. And as part of that partnership, we are currently sharing a different little FinHack each week based on something that's come up during the week, some kind of key news story or news event. So this key story that we're keen to share is regarding this ambitions report and that figure that the leading ambition is a desire to earn more. And I love seeing that come up every year that we do this report. So we wanted to look at how you actually ask for a pay rise because there's a lot we can unpack in the topic of how to earn more. And there's also a lot of to unpack in how to ask for a pay rise. So we want to offer one kind of quick suggestion. Tala, I have an idea. Do you have an idea? Yeah, I do, I guess. I think what we need to keep in mind when we are feeling like we want to ask for a pay rise is that if you're feeling that way, it's time to to ask for it because you can bet everything that the two guys next to you are going to be doing the same. When I first started out, a senior woman pointed out to me in my company and I was really furiously trying to lobby for a pay rise for a good six months. And the two guys that were my closest colleagues who were doing exactly the same job as me, may I or dare I say they were doing it not as well as me, had both gotten a pay rise very early doors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she said, look, you should build a business case around the things that you've achieved and why you deserve it. Obviously, a good employer is going to recognize that from the outset, but unfortunately, we don't always get really astute employers. Um, and sometimes you do need to to kind of paint that out for them very clearly in no uncertain terms. And I think just the other thing is just being clear in your communication. You know, try to anticipate the questions that are going to be asked by your boss in response. Practice your pitch before you go in so you don't get flustered or overwhelmed or tongue-tied. Just back yourself. As I said, if you're at that point where you're feeling like you deserve a pay rise, it's likely that you deserved a pay rise many months ago. Yeah, Yes. So my little tip is very much similar to that. So I remember finding out that a male who was in the same position as me was earning about kind of 20% more than I was. And I was so shocked and horrified. And I was really upset when I found that out. And I think I kind of just took that on. I let it kind of fester in me for days and I got really angry and I was just really upset and I didn't sleep. And and you know how you get into that zone. These people don't appreciate me. And then I ended up just going to my manager and saying that I knew what he was earning and that I expected to earn exactly the same amount. And I kind of had this business case and I went in and I didn't stop talking. I did. I broke 
all the rules that you're supposed to stick to when it comes to negotiation because I have no idea how to negotiate and it's something that I've really had to work on over the years. And I left that meeting uh, getting that 20% pay rise because the manager was so embarrassed that I highlighted this this gender gap that had been occurring. And what I've learned over the years also working on women's agenda is that most organisations don't even know they have a gender pay gap. And that's why we really encourage them to do an audit. So they don't know. And when they find out about it, they are doing everything possible to fix it because they don't want that kind of thing getting out there and leaving people disgruntled and upset. So that's one thing. I know it's not going to work everywhere because I know that there are organisations who, who, who won't care that they have a pay gap and won't do anything about it. I hope that those good women in those organisations go and take their talent elsewhere. But at the same time, I think that first thing is to to ask and also to consider the fact that your male counterparts may very much be earning less than you because we know the stats, we know that is what's happening and it's not your fault. It may not even be your manager's fault. It may have happened because of whatever reason along the way that that person just happened to ask for money at one point when you didn't happen to ask for money, whatever it was. But just expect that it's happening. So so take that in. And remember, you will not get if you don't take that ask and make the ask. And like you say, Tyler, have the research and things ready to go to, to back up your business case. Amen. So thanks again to Superhero for bringing us this week's Fin Hack. So Superhero is the app that makes investing accessible and affordable for everyone. You can learn more about your options at superhero.com.au or download the Superhero app. Okay, so Tyler, I do want to cross to my interview. I'm really excited about this. So Rebecca Campbell, entrepreneur and activist, a thinker. I know her as the founder of Posse and also as the co-founder of Hey You. Uh, She's just published her first book called 138 Dates, which basically features what she learned and the story of what happened when she decided to keep going on dates until she met a life partner. So I won't tell you the end of what happened there, but it is a really, really good read. And as soon as I read it, I knew that I had to read it. Yeah, it's an incredible read. So I will cross to that interview now. Thank you so much for joining me, Rebecca. Oh, it's great to chat. Thanks for having me. So I mentioned to you that I loved your book and I kind of read it over one weekend. I picked it up in lockdown here and it had been sitting on my desk for a few weeks as I'd had a few books kind of piling up and I picked this one up and if I'm totally honest, even having published the piece that we did from you, which I encourage people to go and read it, which is an extract from this book, I don't think I fully realised exactly what the subject matter of the book would be. I I thought it was going to be purely a business book. It's not. It is partly a business book, but it is about going on those 138 dates. Also, I thought back to the fact that we once worked in the same building and had a couple of coffees together. And I think that maybe I had those coffees with you when you're also doing this entire mission that you are on. I guess I want to obviously ask about that and what you learnt about men. I do want to ask some business questions also. Sure. But firstly, I wanted to see if there were any kind of key things that you might share with us regarding what you learnt about men by going through that process, which would be kind of unusual, but I do know other people who have done similar things. I might say maybe not getting to, to that volume of dates, but are there any key things that you'd say that you learnt 
About men, gosh, that's a big question. And I hadn't dated for 10 years, so I kind of was starting from a base of nothing or very little, nothing about dating. I'd never been on a date. I'd had one boyfriend who I met in high school. And so I was terrified when I started about looking stupid, someone seeing my profile on the internet, getting rejected. Um, And the first thing I think I learned in the book, I get to the age 34 and and think I'm going to miss out on having a family. And that was something that was really important to me is having a partner and love and a family. So I was was prepared to do whatever it took. And so I had this mission, which was to go on one date every week for a year, just as I'm a kind of goal-orientated person. It It was a simple goal. And my first date was lovely. He was a sales manager at Vodafone. And although we weren't, we weren't a match long term, we went on a few dates. And I think that gave me the confidence. There's there's nice guys out there who are looking for an emotional relationship. And that kind of gave me the confidence I said to keep looking until I found my match. In terms of what did I learn about men, I mean, there's so much. I learned probably, I think half of the story is about becoming the right person. So it was what I learned about myself. And, you know, I guess I'd kind of transformed or I don't know if I changed myself, but I peeled myself back through that journey to a point where I could be completely myself and authentic and confident um, walking into a date, which is when I met my husband. I definitely, I mean, there's a whole lot of funny characters. Yeah. And their names have been changed right as well. Like have any of those characters been in touch with you <laughs> since to say? There has been hey, so much uh, yes. There's a couple that I left in that, <laughs> that were nice people and I'm sure that they would be quite happy to be represented in the way that they were. Um, but, yeah, I changed most of the men's names. There was one that reached out to me and said, am I Roger? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yes, you are actually. <laughs> he said that he was out on a date with a girl and she just read the book and that he had proudly told her that he was Roger in the book. Often I'd turn up on a date, which you kind of see in the in the book, like, and you think, oh, this guy's great. Why is this guy single? And then, you know, a few paragraphs later, you're like, oh, okay, that's why he's single. I mean, I definitely started out looking for the wrong thing. I mean, I, that was something that I learned. I looked for tall, smart, and fun. That was my list. And then I found those things. And realized that what was really important was, you know, someone who was caring and nice to me. Yeah. And there was and a whole lot of other things as well. But my initial kind of criteria was very flawed. And I only figured that out by actually meeting those people and realizing that that wasn't what I wanted. And there was other things that were more important. One thing I was really curious about asking was that you say things about yourself as a woman in her mid to late 30s. A few years later, with a little bit of hindsight, would you still think those same things about yourself? And it was that kind of sense that you were lacking in in some kind of success there, which as an outside observer, I guess from my perspective was just so strange to have you writing about when I just see this phenomenally successful entrepreneur who's out there running a business and and raising money and, and doing all this amazing stuff. I mean, when I was writing it, I just thought I have to be 100% honest. So I tried to just go back in my brain and download my thought pattern at that particular time. So those thoughts were completely accurate. In terms of success, I still cringe. I don't know exactly why that is. But yeah, I never felt at the time that I was having that much success. I don't know. When you someone reads out your bio at a kind of, you turn up at a conference to speak or something, they only read the highlight reel, you know, the the sentences of like, she did this and then she raised this money and then she, whatever. Whereas I never felt comfortable in that because I guess the book shows all of the behind the scenes stuff, not just the highlight reel and those behind the scenes stuff. That, that's the real um, experience. It's not the highlights. Yeah, like I said at the beginning of the conversation, it does 
include some of the behind the scenes business things as well with meeting investors and and going to events and dealing with mentors and, and those investors and those advisors. You obviously reveal a lot there. Can I ask you to now the world of investors, which is still majority male, I don't have a specific figure now. I'm hoping that it's kind of changing, but from last I recall, it's at least sort of eight and 10 would be male. What was that like? And were you able to apply any of the things that you're learning in the dating world to being able to manage and maybe feel more comfortable or at home in that investor world where there just still are not enough female investors, nor are there enough female entrepreneurs either? I mean, when I started raising money, I had no idea what I was doing. So I just like created it the day before I did my first pitch. I remember thinking I have to figure out how this PowerPoint thing works and I made a pitch deck and then I went and presented it and then I kind of noted down all the questions that I got and improved it, improved it. And I did that hundreds and hundreds of times um, and then eventually did raise some money, got to Silicon Valley. But it was the same process. I was turning up, pitching from a deck and then asking for X, you know, a million dollars or whatever. And I think I learned in dating that I applied is that you can't kind of ask to get married on the first date. And it's the same thing when you're raising money. When I actually look at the hundreds of pitches that I gave and the you know, handful of people that ended up investing, there's virtually no one that invested that I asked for money on the first, first time I met them. There was always, we met, I asked for some advice and we built a relationship Sometimes I asked for investment and then they said no, but I stayed in touch and we built a relationship and then they invested in the in a subsequent round. But out of I don't know, I'm guessing there was at least 600 pitches that I did and I can't think of any that said yes. Or maybe there was a couple, but a very very small number that said yes on that first meeting or invested in that round when we met in that particular way. So it was about building trust, building a relationship. Yeah, yeah. So uh, approximately six hundred. So that's interesting. So one hundred thirty-eight was a. Uh, it was less to find the relationship than the the what you ended up raising overall. Can I ask just where the story goes in terms of where Posse goes? And you do talk about the merge with the other business, which eventually became Hey You. So when did you exit? What was the final kind of piece of that in terms of? I believe you've completely exited that business, but. So I'm still a shareholder in the business. I don't work in the business anymore. We merged Posse and Beat the Queue in 2014. And then I worked with a co-founder for a year and a half or so. He had another idea, which he's successfully launched called Automentum. So he left to do that. I ran the company. I I had a baby in 2016. So that was Eve, our first daughter. So when I had Eve and I was running the business by myself, we had 50 staff. I felt like that was the right time to bring in a CEO So the board and I brought in someone to run the company, I worked with him for a year, knowing that at some stage I would want to do something else. And I just felt like I didn't know that that was my calling for the rest of my life to run that business. And there was other things that I wanted to do. So I started, you know, when you have kids, you start to think deeply about, you know, was that the most purposeful thing that you could do? And I just felt like it wasn't quite on my, you know, any longer my my calling in life. And I needed to find what that was. So yes, so I transitioned out. I stayed on the board for another year and then and then I had my second child and I left completely. 
Amazing. So I feel like 138 Dates will be a Netflix series. I just picture that as I was reading it. I just sense that that would make a lot of sense really. So <laughs> We'll see. Thanks so much, Angela. Thank you so much for your support and for all the great stuff you're doing as well. All right. Well, thank you to Rebecca for that interview. Please go and read her book. It was excellent. It is my recommendation this week and it is my recommendation that I'm going to tell Tala to recommend as well and Tala can go and read this week and you will not be able to put it down. <laughs> thank you, Tala. Thanks, Ange. Thank you for listening to the Women's Agenda podcast. And reminder, you can get all the stories we've discussed and more at womensagenda.com.au where you can also subscribe to our newsletter. Thank you to our podcast supporter, Superhero, and thank you to Rebecca Campbell for that excellent interview. And we will be back with you next week. Thank you for listening.